All right, let's okay. go. All right, everybody, this is Rocker Mike, and we're having another episode here of the Rocker Mike and Rob Presents show. And today, which I got to uh, tell you guys, we're 152 <laughs> in Australia, and we're number 50 oh, yeah. in Sweden. Right. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. We're moving up. We're, we're moving, moving up. on. This on. interview will put this, this interview will put us over the top. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. But let me introduce our our uh, guest for today. It's uh, Mr. Frank Sesich. Yeah. Hello. Frank, say hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. That was a good. Ah, uh, pretty good, very man. Good, very good. Okay, now Frank is a is a, a famous musician from I guess you could say almost the Midwest area, Ohio, Pennsylvania area. Uh, he played in the power pop band Blue Ash, Blue late sixties, early seventies. Played with Mr. Steve Bader's. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And he had some other projects over the years, but for the last 15 years, he's been playing with the Deadbeat Poets, a great band from that area. And he's just written a book, I think it's been out about two years now, called uh, Circumstantial Evidence about his life in music. Great. And a little bit, a little bit before that, when he was a kid, good stories there. Okay. So, uh, Frank, all right, this goes back. I mean, uh, we're talking late 60s here. You're from... Sharon, Pennsylvania, right? On the right? Ohio border, right across from Youngstown, about 10 miles from Youngstown. Okay. And, you know, Youngstown, Ohio is a great place. I don't know what it is about Ohio. There's so many, so many great, great bands. rock yeah. bands. We, we've, covered, we've covered so many over the last, you know, couple of years we've been doing this show. Uh, I always, I always bring, bring that up, that for some reason Ohio was such a hotbed for rock and roll. Why do you think that is, Frank? I ask everybody that that's from the area. Why do you think that is? I started with, with, with the Beatles. I think when, when they came on the Ed Sullivan show in the 60s, I think everybody started, wanted to be in a band. Everybody, I never saw so many people playing guitars and that. And we had a lot of tremendous bands that came out of here in the 60s, the James Gang and the, uh, the human beings mm-hmm. from Youngstown. They were our heroes. Ting Markham was one of the great guys. Had that feedback for nobody but me in the beginning of yeah. that. And that still played at ball games and Everywhere, Super Bowl, everything. You always hear that. And no, no, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yep, great, yep. Great, great song. Uh, great song. Cyrus Erie that later became the Raspberries and and uh, it's Glass Harp and mm-hmm. Bill Cage. He's been just a million bands out of here, really. A lot of good talent. Yeah. What what made you pick up um, the guitar? Yeah, the Beatles. Just the Beatles or then, um, um I just started playing. Uh, I had an old Stella guitar that my uncle Jack would give me. And started figuring out things. But I learned harmonica first because of the Beatles songs. That was easier, you know. Wow. And, and yeah, yeah, that, a little bit easier than guitar. You know, so I started playing in bands in, in like 1965, and I was 14 years old then. Wow. Right, right. Well, yeah. I mean, the story always goes that. When the Beatles came, it's like everybody wanted to be in a band. There was just garage bands like oh, crazy. Yeah. Every block had a band, hey, you know? So, Frank, your first chapter is Ed Sutherland, that bastard, ruined oh. everything. What the <laughs> hell do you mean by that? <laughs> that was my father. Every, he was a character. And every, about once every five years, he'd come up with something completely profound. <laughs> like in 1970, and he just... Starts shaking his head, points at Ed Sullivan on TV. He goes, Ed Sullivan. He goes, that bastard ruined everything. <laughs> he's re- he's responsible. Things all started from him putting the Beatles on TV. <laughs> 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 well, from the 1940s. 
Oh, yeah, <laughs> Change the whole world, definitely. Wow, wow. Now, um, you put Blue Ash together in 1969, yeah. and it's you know, Blue Ash for people don't know. I mean, they really you guys only oh, had, had one two, album, actually two. Right? We had one on Mercury and and um, well, one on Playboy Records in '77. But that's not that's Mercury, right. I did forget the that same guy who signed the New York Dolls, Paul Nelson. He, wow! Yes, yes. both yes. both bands yes. were on the same label, but you guys have been compared to uh, Badfinger, Raspberries, oh, yeah. and Big yeah. Star. Yeah. Okay, I said so, you know it was you got the, those four bands, you know, counting you. I would say kind of started, you know, what would be yeah. called power pop. At that time, there, yeah, was, there no was no name, name for that, for right? It, but I I definitely agree with that. Those were the really the four main ones there and flaming groovies too and that oh flaming you know i was gonna say <laughs> yeah. that. i was gonna say that too and you know we've done shows about all these bands except the raspberries i got to do a show about them but we interviewed uh joey Marlin oh, okay. a few weeks back was, from bad finger he was great yeah he's a great guy yeah oh, he's got a new album yeah. out as well so i had met him yeah and, yeah uh, uh, tommy evans in england in 1972 at this, yeah, yeah, you met Tommy. Wow, the little one of those alcoves in the bar at the, the speakeasy in London. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, they have yeah, an incredible yeah. story as well. Yeah, but um, tell us a little bit about the early years of Blue Ash because I know you 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 played around for a few years before oh, yeah. you we, actually we, got we signed. Started, right? We we wanted to be a different kind of band, and we started doing about half originals at, at, at the beginning too. But we did a lot of you know, power pop stuff in the 60s, the Who, things like that. And uh, we just sprinkled originals in, but we got really popular in Ohio because of a DJ. Boots Bell was one of them, and they're making a movie about him now, legendary guy here. But he would get on really? the radio and say, you got to go see Blue Ash play. These guys are outrageous. They jump all around, great stage show. So people kept coming to see us. So we, we started playing a couple hundred gigs a year, you know. We were... A road band through, all through yeah, New York wow. State, upstate, PA, Ohio, West Virginia, and Virginia, and got really, really popular and kept uh, getting more and more um, material together. And so we went in uh, Peppermint Studios in Youngstown, wanted to sign us to a, a production contract. So we went in in 1972 and we made like uh, six demo songs, and they sent them out to all the labels. And, and luckily enough, four labels wanted to sign us. Pompadour, Mercury, MGM, and a thing was called Metro Media back then. And uh, Paul Nelson was, he wanted us real bad for uh, Mercury came down, and he's the one that signed us then. Yeah. That's fantastic. Wow. Fantastic. Was it, was it a one no, record it, deal? No, it was or? a two. We did the one, and then we got another single, and it, it, we had to sell like 25,000 copies to get a second album. And we only had uh, wow. like 19,000 or something. So they didn't get so they, they wouldn't they wouldn't give you they dropped you yeah, because, because of six thousand was, was all bean counters back then, like it is now, you know. Um that that was yeah. it. Then then uh, we we almost got signed to Columbia and almost got signed to RCA, almost got signed to an Emperor by Nat Weiss, who had uh, um th- that little label, you know, which was a great label he had there. And uh, uh right. so uh right, we ended right. up with Playboy though a couple of years later and did a second album with them and then Broke up around uh, early 79. I started playing with Stib then. He called me, and the Dead Boys were kind of filtering out. He wanted to do some power pop stuff, 
So we started writing songs together and bomb right. Wow. Before we before we get into the stiff stuff, oh, that's gonna be a big chunk here. I got I gotta ask you, I gotta ask you, Frank, about one show that you did with Blue Edge oh, okay. and, and the Stooges. Okay, because that, that turns out to yeah. be the Metallic KO <laughs> and, and, and Meta- the Metallic KO album for people don't know is like the final show that the Stooges did back in the seventies, obviously before they re- yep. reunited back in the early two thousands. Yep. And it's a show in Michigan and Detroit where you can literally hear bottles flying and crashing around. Iggy is cursing at the audience and, you know, getting into fights. I, I heard that there were like bikers in there, yeah, like it, throwing it bottles around, crazy right? Because you could just tell it, it, there was a, a feeling in the air that it was going to be nuts that night. And actually, that was 10 years from the day that the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan show. This is February 9th, 1974. So we went on right before, there was a band on before us, I can't remember who they were, and they said, don't go out there, you know, there's like 4,000 people at the Michigan Palace, it's crazy, but we went out, and we always had a good following in Detroit, so we went over really good, but then, you know, we were done, and the Stooges were coming, and you could just tell it was going to happen, and Iggy was in rare form, they carried him out to the stage, so we stood, we stood on oh, the wow. side of the stage, because we knew, we just wanted to see this, we knew it was going to be insane. And we're just laughing our asses off. All the ice and beer bottles and stuff going. He's back and forth, keeps threatening to uh, go into Louie Louie. Somebody throws another bottle, bang, another bottle hits the stage. Da na na. Wow. Now, I had heard I had heard that I think I I think I read it in the Please Kill Me book, uh, that Iggy went on a a radio yes, show earlier a, that I, day and he had made some threats or something or challenged some people come on down oh, and kick yeah. your ass something I, like that <laughs> place is packed but the funniest part of the whole night was we left one of our guitars on stage an epiphone chair and on its stand because you try to move the equipment real quick they they pulled the curtain and we were behind the curtain and did that but left it on there anyway so many eggs were hitting it that the guitar got all splattered with you know yellow egg stuff you know it was jim kenzo our lead singer's guitar and he never took the eggs off that right he, he still has that guitar i think the egg spears are still on it he never cleaned the guitar because it was just like a he never cleaned it night, you know? wow wow that's a that is amazing that's, that is amazing fantastic. you know i mean for years that the, the guitar and we always said there's the yellow splattered eggs on the guitar <laughs> <laughs> wow wow you know and and for years that that was never yeah, available oh, yeah, yeah. it was only a bootleg okay and it finally came yeah. out you know a while back but i remember hearing that probably in the early 80s for the first time and i was like oh my god this is insane you know times. we played with them at the aragon ballroom too in chicago and so that was pretty mm-hmm. cool. oh shit and when i was we we played a couple cool, of jobs cool. with Iggy too when it was just Iggy Pop, but yeah, oh yeah, yeah. definitely. Well, they were friends, right? It, yeah. All right, so let's get into yeah. the Stiff Beta stuff, okay? Uh, basically, the Dead Boys were still playing around, but they asked yeah, you to join up, right? Stiff and I started in the early early uh, uh, late nineteen seventy eight doing demos, and then uh, I went to California with them. We did some recording at Bonn, and then they were doing some Dead Boys reunion shows. I think Cheetah had booked a bunch of stuff. 
And uh, Jeff Magnum didn't want to do it, so they called me, and I went up there, and then I ended up playing, you know, a bunch of tours with them. And um, people were coming and going out of the band lineup, but we would sprinkle in some stiff uh, solo stuff in with it too. But I played with them from uh, 19 in the fall of 1979 until uh, January of 1981. Right, and this was like a little bit different yeah. kind of Dead Boys, all right? Because, like you say, you put you you were putting in some of the stiff solo stuff, which was more like exactly. 60s garage yeah. rock inspired. Okay, and uh, you know, I mean, I'm I'm a huge Dead Boys fan. I've been for years, and I have to tell you that in a bizarre moment, actually, that when Stiv died, when I found out that Stiv died, I was actually Aww. listening to Lord of the New Church. Yeah. I'll never forget that. It was 30 years ago this year, but um, yeah, I was at work and I was listening to it while I was working, and then someone called me up and was like, "They said it. Hey, I can't can't believe I'm listening to him right now." But um. And also, I got to tell you, is is I saw you oh, guys <laughs> on the Uncle Floyd show. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uncle Floyd. Okay. Yeah, that was about, I think, about 1980 or so you did that, twice. right? One, there's bootlegs of it floating around YouTube all the time of us doing cold outside and um, not that way anymore. But then we yeah. also did it in uh, December of 1980. That was from the summertime. And we did stuff from the Disconnected album. But that tape's never surfaced anywhere. I don't think I saw that. But as a kid, I saw the first one with with Not That Way Anymore and It's Cold Outside. And I was just like blown away as a kid. I was like, this is awesome. And it got got me interested in that that whole sound from the 60s. He's that great people watch that john lennon mm-hmm. used to watch it every day david bowie wrote that song about it yeah yeah he was a big fan paul simon mm-hmm. they all were big fans of that show every and the ramones were on there and all none the time of those, wow. none of those videos he won't let them out to the public so i don't know what he... yeah i don't know why and he occasionally does these like little tours yeah. i guess he does like comedy or whatever and I always think of going and, and just asking him, like, why don't you put this stuff out? There's so many people want to see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he would. Can make a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so you joined up with the Dead Boys. You did a couple of tours. Uh, at some point, yeah, Cheetah Chrome's out of the band, right? Wrist in in December, December 18th, I remember the day because it was Keith Richards' birthday. And we had all gotten invited to Keith Richards' birthday party at the Roxy Roller Disco. And when we got there, Zero and Vader's night came. Later, Cheetah was already there. And Keith told us that uh, Cheetah fell on the roller skates and broke his wrist. And we were set up, so we had to get... Oh, we wow. got George Cabanis from the Hammer Damage Band that had been touring with us to, uh, you know, uh, fill mm-hmm. in for Cheetah. And we played like the next three months or so without that. And then George just stayed with the band and did the solo stuff with uh, Vader's night too. Right, right. Now let me ask you, what, what was the fan response to some of the changes of the Dead Boys at that point? Did they, did they accept it? Or were they more like the punks, the, the punks didn't like the it? What, what was the, the reaction? The punks. It was almost like when Dylan went, uh, you know, electric, but on a smaller scale. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, you would yeah, 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 say yeah. stuff. But the band was really good too. So 
the, when, when you'd hear it live, it was. He, he picked up new fans. He lost some. And, pe- of course, people wanted Cheetah there. Cheetah. Uh, I mean, Cheetah's Cheetah. He's a, he's a legend. And uh, he had his fans, too. But, uh, you know, people came out to see us. And we, we got booked everywhere. We played everywhere that year. Yeah. So how did the disconnected uh, uh, disconnected um, make that out? We, we did the Erg Music War tour out in um, the West Coast, and we didn't get end up being in that movie for I forget why they were contractual. Yeah, yeah, I don't recall you yeah. in that movie. We the cramps are in that movie. There was That's some great. Kind of contract thing. Anyway, while we were out there, Greg Shaw wanted to do the album, so he had it all set up. We went to Perspective Studios in uh, Sun Valley, California. And uh, it was Tom um, um, Wilson, was the first guy that, that produced that. It's the first album he ever produced. And he ended up producing Madonna and Iggy and all, all these, you know, rap bands and all this stuff. He became a famous producer. But that was the first album he ever did was the Disconnected album. So we, wow. In August or September of 1980. Okay. Right, right. And, you know, Greg Shaw was going to put yeah, that out on Bomp, right? That's what he did. Um, how did you meet Greg, Greg Shaw? From, I didn't meet him, but I knew him from Blue Ash days because he uh, used to be the editor of Phonograph Record Magazine, which was second to Rolling Stone back in the early 70s. And he wrote great reviews about Blue Ash mm-hmm. and articles and stuff and loved the band. And so um, when Steve and I did the demos, he went out and played it for uh, Greg. And Greg went nuts. And Steve didn't tell him I was in the band. He goes, you know who's in this band with me? He goes, oh, that's Frank Sessage. He goes, I could tell him anywhere. So he offered us a recording contract. So we went out to California. It's cold outside, not that way anymore than than the album. Right, right. Okay, fantastic. And there's a, there's a story that this album yeah, was recorded was a, on a basketball court at, at, at the studio. They had a regular <laughs> studio, which was you know had all the sound bafflings and everything. But we, we kind of didn't like it that much. And the, the guys uh, said, there's, there's a room next door with a basketball court. And so we put the amps up and the drums in there. It sounded great. A big, booming thing. So we'll record on the basketball court. So we just, you know, ran wires from the basketball court into the, uh, into the studio. So it was quite fun. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So just yeah. something yeah, about just that hardwood floor there. made a good we sound. We loved it, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Okay, so when you know disconnected comes out, uh, you yeah, guys yeah. toured behind we that, right? One last. Okay, and and everybody, uh, I mean, you know, everybody was uh, the, the yeah. response was pretty good from what I've heard. What was it, it like it, when you it, got it, back it to New York? On that we brought uh, uh, Steve brought Brian James over with us. He played on that whole tour with us. That tour from the the damned. Right, that was real good. But he had already From gone over to and recorded with the Wanderers. Steve did. And, and, and right, he right. He made that one record with the them. Time, and we didn't want to do that, and I don't think they wanted to do it either. You know, so it, our band kind of just fizzled out after that. Yeah. So, I mean, so Steve was kind yes, of thinking yeah. he could, you know, balance two bands. Yeah. And that's, wow, that's, that's, that's a lot. Yeah, that is hard to do. But uh, would that would it would that uh, end your collaboration yeah, yeah, with him? Much. I mean, we always pretty stayed much friends. And every time the Wanderers of the Lords came, any bands mm-hmm. that I was in, we always opened up for him. And you know, it's yeah, we we always stayed friends. It wasn't right. it wasn't a a bad breakup. You know, it, 
Well, well, your, well, your friendship yeah. went back I many years, right? Back to the 60s, really, right? Yeah. So I was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right. And for everybody who uh, who wants to know more, you can check out the Danny Garcia movie, uh, Stiff Betas, No Compromise, No Regrets, uh, that came out last oh, year. That was a fantastic Danny, documentary about He's Stiff. He's doing one on Maxis, Kansas City right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I talked to him recently. Yeah. We had interviewed oh, him great. earlier this year over the summer, I think it was. And uh, yeah, he we did a, an interview. He was in Brazil. He was fantastic. And uh, he mentioned to me recently we were, we were texting and he's doing something about Wayne County. He yeah. said. So I guess it's the yeah, whole Max's scene, I, I guess. There's that, a great that's film what from uh, Paul yeah. Schenkel. When I first started playing with the Dead Boys from Paul Schenkel's Inner Tube. And and it's on it's on YouTube. Inner tube, yes. Four songs. With, there's Wayne County and the Rockcats there with Jerry Nolan too on the show. But four with the Dead Boys, and it's one of the first gigs I right. played with him. It's at Max's. But yeah, he said he knew about that film. Fantastic. He, what I what I love about Danny and and, and and he seems to every time I'm complaining about somebody yeah. needing to make a documentary about somebody, he does it. All right. You know, I was like, when is something going to come out about Johnny Thunders? You know, and then he comes out with that. Yeah. And then Stiff Betas. And I was like, wow, you know, he crowdfunded. He crowdfunded oh, a lot yeah, of that yeah. movie, I think. A lot of people put up money it's for that. It's funny if you, if you, um, that's George fantastic. Cabinus, who played in the Stiff Betas Disconnected band, he and David Clinton wrote a song called uh-huh. Bad Luck Charm, and it's about Johnny Thunders. And, and what the funny thing yeah. was, we were playing at the Heat one time, and Thunders came up to play it with us. You know, sit in for a song or two, and he had a, like a deer's hoof that was chopped off on a necklace around his neck. And George says to me, "He goes, what's wow. that around Johnny's neck?" I said, "That's his bad luck charm." I, I thought I'd write a song about it. So <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Johnny, Johnny was, you know, a legend still today in, in oh, yeah. the so New York music his, scene. He's uh, still talked his, about. Uh, uh, inspiration was the inspiration for that song was Thunders. Right. Right. Well, after the, the Baders band and that, you know, that kind of disintegrated and Stiv went off to be with the Wanderers and then Lords of the New Church. Um, yeah. You yeah. were yeah. playing with yeah. Jimmy Zero. For a little while, he, he right? With the Club, 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 Club Wow band, right? And he asked me to be in it, and and I joined. I stayed with Club Wow from ni- er, first day of 1982 and through 1985, and that was a great band. Uh, Jeff West was in that band too, that played with Walter Lohr and uh, and Jeff with the Waldos. Yes, friend. I remember he, Jeff Well. guy. He was yes. in the band, and Billy Sullivan was the lead guitar player, and he plays with Herman's Hermits now with Peter Newton. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pretty crazy oh wow okay that is crazy that is crazy but what you know at that point in the in the mid 80s now according to your book you you were working in a record store store, i got a job in the record store i used to work there before and i became a manager at national record market i worked there until uh, 1990 right and there's a fascinating little story about how you met your next band um, Why don't you tell that? Story, yeah, uh, they were like, yeah, 17, 18 year old kids, you know, yeah, yeah, high school kids. So. And they came in with the Disconnected album. They, they popped it on the on the counter with $10. You know? And I, I just looked at them. 
how kind of sickos mm. are you guys if I get like this? Yeah. Like, oh, man, Skip's great. All of a sudden, I start getting real offended. I said, turn the album over. I said, be there. And, oh, yeah. oh, we got a band. Said, <laughs> you okay. broke their balls. So, I, will you come down and hear I went down and heard them. They had a couple really good originals, and I thought they were great kids. So uh, Jeff Jones and I, who wrote, we started managing, and I produced the Infolos record. And the funny thing is, 30 years later now, 45 years, they're in. The, they're all in the Deadbeat Poets with me. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Now you, you know, you, that uh, we'll get to the Deadbeat Poets in a minute, but around 1990. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we oh, yeah. we lost Steve Bader's and your your friend, and you yeah, you kind of gave I up music for a while. From it. I had a, it, I think with Steve's death, I think it just was, uh, it just hit me like a, right. Uh, I don't know, it just hit me out of nowhere. I just didn't want anything to do with it anymore. And I had spent so many years doing it. I'm as ready to turn forty years old, and I had a three year old son, so I got a job with an yeah. insurance company. I just quit the record mart, everything. And I was amazed that they were doing real well. And I just spent time with him, did everything with him, uh, coached Little League hockey, all this stuff, and never touched a guitar again for another 13 years. I started just picking up my old Gibson in one day and started, you know, writing songs again 13 years later. And it started the Deadbeat Poets after that. And, you know, when I was reading your book, I was really amazed because you just said how. You hadn't played for so long. You yeah, picked, up, I played picked it up, and you had a song great right there. Great guitar riff, and I thought, oh, that's hell, amazing. Now I, you know, they're pulling me back in. You know? <laughs> <So I had laughs> like the Godfather, right? <laughs> and it became the Steve Bader's Ghost Tour. I actually wrote a song about him that's, that was in Danny's movie and, and on the first Deadbeat Poet yes, song. Yes, great and, song. And uh, Moonfall Strangers did it for the ending credits on there too yeah but that was the song i wrote after i hadn't touched the guitar in 13 years right right but soon now that you came back to the yes, scene uh, they, blue ash would get back blue together started right getting really popular and becoming a cult thing. and people were you know wanting to book the band and wanting to reissue things um not lame put out a two cd set in 2004 with 44 unreleased songs I went over to Peppermint, where we used to had. Well, I was telling you earlier, we had the production contract, and they had over 219 recordings of Blue Ash. So all these things just started coming out of Spain and everywhere else. So we got together and did some shows, did a lot of great shows, and had a lot of fun with it. And we're still doing it. We're in the middle of recording another Blue Ash album right now, and we got eight songs that Jim Kenton, myself, he's the lead singer, singer. And the Deadbeat Poets backing it on doing it. And we got eight songs. I think it's some of the best stuff we've ever done. But with the COVID coming now, we've had to stop on it. But we'll start up again. Things, you know, clear up here. Okay. You think yeah, you might have 20, something 20, out next year or maybe 2022? We only need to do two or three more songs. So hopefully. Okay. Okay. Oh, well, make sure when you yeah, when you're yeah, ready, you let me know because we'll, we'll stop plugging it for you. Kenzer and everything. We'll have a good show. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. So Debbie Poets. Now you know you got quite a discography there. Uh, 2007's Notes from the Underground was the first one. Yes. Yes. That's the one with the subway train yeah. cover, right? 
Yes, love that album cover. Um, and then Circus Town. Okay, yeah. now Circus Town is a little story behind there, that, right? Like, a, what that is exactly? It, Tell it, us. Go down here in, near Butler, Pennsylvania. And when I worked for the insurance company, it's out in the country, and I stumbled across it one day. And it was an old circus uh, place where they used to have carnivals and animals and stuff like this, and petting zoos, and and you know, almost like a Coney Island place out in the middle of nowhere, you know. And it had like these uh, corrugated steel airplane wow. uh, tents, you know, that were made of steel. And uh, I just thought it was fabulous. I thought, wow, man, this would be a great album cover for, or like Led Zeppelin or The Who or somebody, you know. And I always had that in my mind when I was doing it. So, I, you know, yeah. I started up again. I started writing some songs, recorded, and Terry Harton, who was in the band then, wrote a song called Circus Town. We took pictures down there and, and everything. And, uh, uh, you know, that was our second album. And we, I had a song on there called The Staircase Stomp about Joe Meek, the crazy producer from England. And little Steven picked up on it yes. and made it the coolest song in the world. And yeah, yeah. little Steven is amazing. Um, I've been, you know, I've been listening yeah, to him since yeah. he started the whole thing in 2002. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, that's the station I keep on all the time. And uh, yeah. actually, uh, Bill Kelly's yeah. a great DJ too. I know the you know Bill. Thing with the staircase stomp is um, mm-hmm. uh, I wrote it about Joe Meek and the guy that was with him at the end, if you've ever seen the Joe Meek movies or anything, Pat- Patrick Pink, Robbie. I Robbie have. and I became really good friends yes. over the internet. We talked almost every day for almost 10 years. He passed away in 2018, but he's a great wow. guy. And, and uh, we became really, really good friends. And I had sent it to him and I was kind of afraid because I'm talking about him in the song and stuff. And he wrote back to me. He goes, oh, Frank, you're making me famous again. <laughs> and I, I, he loved the song. So he had told me so many great stories about Joe Meek and, and the, all the bands that were in there and everything. And, and he, he was kind of sick. He, he passed away in, in, in 2018. I miss him a lot. Yeah, I, I... yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Joe Meek story is, is, you know, it's tragic and it's fantastic at the same time. You know all the things oh, yeah, that happened, but he was kind of like yeah, Phil Spector when of, I, when of, I of the of the UK. In 2019, uh, John Kavanaugh, yeah. who has the Soundwave show on the radio over there, he and I went to 304 Holloway Road and took some pictures there. <laughs> it's 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 like a little grocery store now. <laughs> oh wow! There's, oh, they didn't keep it like anything. There, it's the they made it something. Uh, wow, okay. uh, memorial bench. I, if you want to go on my site, you can uh, you know, go into the photos with the UK tour and you can see us at the, at the bench there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I, I, think you, I, I think you went to went Stonehenge too or something, I, right? I ended up going to uh, Portobello Road with uh, my wife shopping for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, so I, okay. Yeah. yeah you got, you got to do that. You got to do that. Popped over to That's Stonehenge though. Okay, and some other records here that you made was uh, yes. American Stroboscope in 2012, uh, mm-hmm. Hall- Hallelujah Anyway in 2014, and you and you pumped out a Christmas yeah, album in little, 2011. Can't forget that Dead yeah, Beat Christmas. Uh, little Steven that was like an, an EP, right? In, in the in the Christmas time now. Christmas time. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. So, 
Right, and you, then you had a one-off single. Yes, that in was 2015. Joe the Minerbird wanted to do a single and do something unique. And I said, I have this really crazy song, Joe the Minerbird. We'll record it. And so he sent it over, there and they loved it. They issued it over there, and we toured Spain then afterward with the Deadbeat Poets and um, uh, Bluette. And Deadbeat Poets would open the show, and which would be four of us, and then we'd bring Jim Kenzer for the Bluette part. We're kind of like the Parliament Funkadelic, you know. Come out when, in the early days of the Parliament with the suits <laughs> on, and do I want to testify? You know, uh, and do the, the George Clinton stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Same band. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, yeah. Now, okay, um, you got some Deadbeat. blue ash stuff coming along. You said, and what about some deadbeat poets? You guys working on something too? So we're just going to wait until you know things open up a little bit because it's kind of silly to release something now. You know? Yeah, everything is messed yeah, up right yeah. now. Everybody I talk to, they say they're just waiting. Yeah, we can yeah, have that. Well, hopefully, one we come out on the other side eight, of this soon. Done for the uh, Blue Ash. We need a couple more songs for that. We're writing a lot of stuff. Um, I do, uh, I, up until the COVID came, I was doing uh, solo tours too. I do book tours and go to, you know, out with different bands. I went out with uh, Ghetto Blasters in uh, December of uh, um, last year, played all over New York and Baltimore and Philadelphia. That was a lot of blast and fun. And then I do uh, book signings in the daytime uh, of the gigs. Like it's a record store that's almost ready. Records in, in the, um, there. I've done Rough Trade and different ones like that, where I just go with an acoustic guitar and, and play. A lot of fun. Cool. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, thanks for well, having Frank, me, I want to thank you for coming on. Okay, and you know, could... when you have stuff coming up, let me know. Oh, we'll get the word out, and you know, okay. I wish Same all you, you, you and your family, all the best for the holidays. You too. Bye bye. All right, you take care now. Bye bye.